episode 36. I'm not going for it, you know, Ron said sleepily through the darkness. If Fred and George find out how to turn to me, you never know, do you? Suppose not. Harry rolled over in bed, a series of dazzling new pictures forming in his mind's eye. He had hoodwinked the impartial judge into believing he was 17. He had become Hogwarts champion. He was standing in the grounds, his arms raised in triumph in front of the whole school, all of whom were applauding and screaming. He had just won the Triwizard Tournament. Cho's face stood out particularly clearly in the blurred crowd, her face glowing with admiration. Harry grinned into his pillow, exceptionally glad that Ron could not see what he could. Chapter 13. Mad-Eye Moody The storm had blown itself out by the following morning, though the ceiling in the great hall was still gloomy. Heavy clouds of pewter gray swirled overhead as Harry, Ron, and Hermione examined their new timetables at breakfast. A few seats along, Fred, George, and Lee Jordan were discussing magical methods of aging themselves and bluffing their way into the Triwizard Tournament. Today's not bad. Outside all morning, said Ron, who was running his finger down his timetable. Abology with the Hufflepuffs and care of magical creatures. Oh, damn it, we're still with the Slytherins. Double divination this afternoon, Harry groaned, looking down. Divination was his least favorite subject, apart from potions. Professor Trelawney kept predicting Harry's death, which he found extremely annoying. Well, you should have given it up like me, shouldn't you? said Hermione briskly, buttering herself some toast. Then you'd be doing something sensible, like arithmancy. You're eating again, I notice, said Ron, watching Hermione add liberal amounts of jam to her buttered toast. I've decided there are better ways of making a stand about elf rights, said Hermione haughtily. Yeah, and you were hungry, said Ron, grinning. There was a sudden rustling noise above them, and a hundred owls came soaring through the open windows, carrying the morning mail. Instinctively, Harry looked up, but there was no sign of white among the mass of brown and gray. The owls circled the tables, looking for the people to whom their letters and packages were addressed. A large, tawny owl soared down to Neville Longbottom and deposited a parcel in his lap. Neville almost always forgot to pack something. On the other side of the hall, Draco Malfoy's eagle owl had landed on his shoulder, carrying what looked like his usual supply of sweets and cakes from home. Trying to ignore the sinking feeling of disappointment in his stomach, Harry returned to his porridge. Was it possible that something had happened to Hedwig and that Sirius hadn't even gotten his letter? His preoccupation lasted all the way across the sodden vegetable path until they arrived in Greenhouse 3. But here, he was distracted by Professor Sprout, showing the class the ugliest plants Harry had ever seen. Indeed, they looked less like plants than thick, black, 
giant slugs protruding vertically out of the soil. Each was squirming slightly and had a number of large, shiny swellings upon it, which appeared to be full of liquid. Bobatubers, Professor Sprout told them briskly. They need squeezing. You will collect the puss. The what? said Seamus Finnegan, sounding revolted. Puss, Finnegan. Puss, said Professor Sprout. And it's extremely valuable, so don't waste it. You will collect the puss, I say, in these bottles. Wear your dragon hide gloves. It can do funny things to the skin when undiluted, Boobatuber puss. Squeezing the Boobatubers was disgusting, but oddly satisfying. As each swelling was popped, a large amount of thick yellowish-green liquid burst forth, which smelled strongly of petrol. They caught it in the bottles, as Professor Sprout had indicated, and by the end of the lesson had collected several pints. This'll keep Madame Pomfrey happy, said Professor Sprout, stoppering the last bottle with a cork, an excellent remedy for the more stubborn forms of acne, Boobatuberpus. Should stop students resorting to desperate measures to rid themselves of pimples. Like poor Eloise Mitchin, said Hannah Abbott, a Hufflepuff, in a hushed voice. She tried to curse hers off. Silly girl, said Professor Sprout, shaking her head, but... Madame Pomfrey fixed her nose back on in the end. A booming bell echoed from the castle across the wet grounds, signaling the end of the lesson, and the class separated. The Hufflepuffs climbing the stone steps for transfiguration, and the Gryffindors heading in the other direction down the sloping lawn toward Hagrid's small wooden cabin, which stood on the edge of the Forbidden Forest. Hagrid was standing outside the hut, one hand on the collar of his enormous black boar hound, Fang. There were several open wooden crates on the ground at his feet, and Fang was whimpering and straining at his collar, apparently keen to investigate the contents more closely. As they drew nearer, an odd rattling noise reached their ears, punctuated by what sounded like minor explosions. Morning, Hagrid said, grinning at Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Better wait for the Slytherins. They won't want to miss this. Blast-ended scroots. Come again, said Ron. Hagrid pointed down into the crates. Ew, squealed Lavender Brown, jumping backwards. Ew, just about summed up the blast-ended scroots, in Harry's opinion. They looked like deformed, shell-less lobsters, horribly pale and slimy-looking, with legs sticking out in very odd places and no visible heads. There were about a hundred of them in each crate, each about six inches long, crawling over each other, bumping blindly into the sides of the boxes. They were giving off a very powerful smell of rotting fish. Every now and then, Sparks would fly out of the end of a scroot. With a small, it would be propelled forward several inches. I just hatched, said Hagrid proudly, so you'll be able to raise them yourselves. Thought we'd make a bit of a project of it. And why would we want to raise them, said a cold voice. The Slytherins had arrived.
The speaker was Draco Malfoy. Crabbe and Goyle were chuckling appreciatively at his words. Hagrid looked stumped at the question. I mean, what do they do? asked Malfoy. What is the point of them? Hagrid opened his mouth, apparently thinking hard. There was a few seconds' pause. Then he said roughly, That's next lesson, Malfoy. You just feeding them today. Now, you want to try them on a few different things. I've never had them before, not sure what they'll go for. I got ant eggs and frog livers and a bit of grass snake. Just try them out with a bit of each. First parson, now this, muttered Seamus. Nothing but deep affection for Hagrid could have made Harry, Ron, and Hermione pick up squelchy handfuls of frog liver and lower them into the crates to tempt the blast-ended scroots. Harry couldn't suppress the suspicion that the whole thing was entirely pointless, because the scroots didn't seem to have mouths. Ouch! yelled Dean Thomas after about ten minutes. It got me! Hagrid hurried over to him, looking anxious. Its end exploded, said Dean angrily, showing Hagrid a burn on his hand. Oh, yeah, that can happen when they blast off, said Hagrid, nodding. Ugh, said Lavender Brown again. Ugh, Hagrid, what's that pointy thing on it? Ah, some of them have got stangs, said Hagrid enthusiastically. Lavender quickly withdrew her hand from the box. I reckon they're the males. The females got sort of sucker things on their bellies. I think they might be to suck blood. Well, I can certainly see why we're trying to keep them alive, said Malfoy sarcastically. Who wouldn't want pets that can burn, sting, and bite all at once? 